The, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, knew how to win in football. Um, I know some of you here are big-time Packers fans, so I expected an amen there, but that's okay. Um, his career record was 96-34. and 34. In the postseason, he, he was 90% as a coach. He never had a losing record as an NFL coach. He led the Packers to three straight and five total NFL championships in seven years, including winning the first two Super Bowls. He's unquestionably one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and the NFL recognized him as such by naming the Super Bowl trophy in his honor, the Vince Lombardi Trophy. But Coach Lombardi began every season with his players the exact same way. And his players would anticipate uh, this from the coach. And, and what the reason he began this way is because every year he had this, this gnawing fear that because his team was so successful, they would begin to take winning for granted. And he knew that every other team, that, that was every other team in the NFL's goal was to beat the Packers. And he knew, he, he knew there was a danger that they could take their successes for granted. But Coach took nothing for granted. One of his biographers describes this annual ritual uh, start to the season. It says this, he says, He began a tradition of starting from scratch. Assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He reviewed the fundamentals of blocking and tackling the basic plays, how to study the playbook. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. (laughs) We're going to start this year as a church from scratch. Um, I realize we're the second Sunday into the year now, but we're not going to assume that we've carried any knowledge over from the previous year. Not literally, but you understand. We're going to begin the year Vince Lombardi style as a church. And we're going to take three weeks this Sunday and the next two to just simply review the basic fundamentals of what the church is and why the church exists. We all need this. Seasoned NFL players needed that. We need this. I don't care how long you've been a believer, a part of the church or this church. If you boil down all that the New Testament teaches about the church and shows about the church, you have these three elements that always that always will exist. There are these... If you could think of a tripod, these are the three legs of the tripod of the church. And if, and if one of these is weak or one of these is missing, the, it, it just doesn't work. And so these three are, are non-negotiable. And there are these three things. It's, it's that the church gathers together like this. It grows together and it goes together. That's just a, a way to express it. But it's worship, it's discipleship, and it's... And it's outreach, evangelism, missions. The church gathers on the Lord's Day, in particular Sunday. 
to worship God, to edify one another. The church grows together by connecting God's truth that we herald on Sundays, connecting it to the to real life in the context of relationships. And in the New Testament day, you see this from house to house, day after day and night after night. Paul talks about laboring and preaching and, and, and teaching uh, the saints and. And so in one-on-one relationships and these older, younger relationships, and that's the growing stuff of, of the church, growing together. And then, and then it's going. The church, the church goes with the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and, and so evangelism, missions. And so ladies and gentlemen, or we'd say brothers and sisters, this is the church gathering, growing and going. This is the stuff of of, of the New Testament church. And this morning, we're just going to take the first of those, the church gathering, what we're doing right here. And so I ask you, why are you here? I really don't want an answer to this one because I'm afraid of what some of you might say. Why, why did you get up this morning and drive here as opposed to the golf course? Well, because it's cold, but, um, or to the mall or to some, to the movie theater. Um, why, why are we gathering today? Why are, and the other question, why are we gathering today on Sunday? Um, why not yesterday? And, and can't you just worship the Lord anywhere? Can't you worship him in your car? Can't you worship him while you're working out? Can't you worship him anywhere? Why come in this room with these people and on this day to worship in this way? Why? You, you, you think about this. Is it really that important? Is it essential to the Christian life? Well, confessionally, we as a church do think it's important. Um, and it's evidenced by the fact in our, in our church covenant, the member covenant for Baraka Bible Church, we say this, and it says, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but will faithfully participate in our church's worship, preaching, teaching, and prayer services. Now, where do we get that from? Why, why is that in there? Why is that so important? We'll see that in just a moment. Now, one writer, though, is talking about the Lord's Day Assembly. He says, Vitality and meaning will not be restored to the Christian gathering until those who lead and those who participate can recover a biblical perspective on their meetings, seeing them in relation to God's total plan and purpose for his people. That's what we, that's what we were after today. Until we get on the same page with God about why we're here, this meeting is going to seem like duty. It's going to lose its vitality. And maybe you're here today and it already has lost vitality to you. You're just here with your family or you're just here because it's expected of you. Well, my prayer this morning is that you will, you will leave this assembly Loving it more than you did when you entered it. Simply, that's my only goal this morning. And that's how I've been praying for our time today. This is not a rant against the culture's encroachment upon Sunday. As you drive by the soccer fields and probably saw minivans lined up out there. This is not that sermon. This is not the pastor standing on a soapbox yelling at you for missing last Sunday or being late this Sunday. That's next week. No, just kidding. Um, I, I want your love for the Lord and your love for his people to translate into a love for the assembly. And that's, that's what we're after today. And so I just, 
to, to, to work towards that goal. We're just going to be able to scratch the surface this morning on this issue. But I, I just want to consider three, three biblical realities that show us the significance of this weekly gathering, of what we're doing right here. So the first one is this. Is it, we find in Scripture that our gathering happens on a designated day. A designated day. Now, I, I am not some kind of world traveler, and I, so I, I hesitate to even talk, mention these things. The, the few experiences I've had to go overseas have been by the kindness of this church and sending me and, and, and previous churches and so to mission trips and things like that. Um, I, but but I, I have had the opportunity to worship in a few different countries, and many of you have as well. And in Senegal, you know what? The church met on Sunday. Interesting, isn't it? And then when I was in, we were in Chad, Africa, in seminary, the church met on Sunday. And I've we've been to Australia and to the UK and to Bosnia and to France, and and they all meet on Sunday. Even in California, the church met on Sunday. That weird, strange place. Uh, and in the Republic of Texas, it's Sunday. Why Sunday? Why why not Saturday? Why not Tuesday? Um, what is it about Sunday? Well. To borrow the words of Big Bird, um, who my kids know, don't even probably know who that is, <laughs> one of these days is not like the others. Uh, there, there's something unique about Sunday. The question is, what is it? Now, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this point. Um, uh, even we, we could spend a lot of time just on this, this statement here because we're bumping into an area of theological friction and in the, uh, among Christians, but and the question becomes this: How does the Lord's Day Sunday worship? How does it relate to the Jewish Sabbath? Um, or another way to say it is: What is our relationship to the fourth commandment? Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, again, we don't have time to explore all of that. Let me just give, give you a, a few questions to kind of get you thinking of what the issue is. Though, should we be worshiping on Saturday, which is the Sabbath? Uh, instead of Sunday, and this is the seventh, if you have any seventh, ad, seventh, um, day Adventist or seventh day Baptist friends, this is, this is where, what they believe. Or is Sunday a day of worship and a day of Sabbath rest? Should we, should we just transfer the Sabbath observance to a new day? And this is, this is the view of uh, Christian Sabbath folks, Christian Sabbatarians, or as a theological word we use. But, or, or thirdly, is is the Lord's Day just something altogether different? Um, and that would be what I believe, and I think most of us here do. This is this is where I am at. This is where we, as a church, are at. Sunday worship is not a substitute for or a continuation of the the Jewish Sabbath, the Sabbath commandment was specific in, in, in that it originated at Mount Sinai and it was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant and a sign of Israel's sanctification. They were set apart for the Lord. It was given to Israel only and it lasts only for the duration of the Mosaic Covenant. That's, that's what I think Scripture teaches. And I'm not saying we don't need rest. I'm not saying that there's no application of the Sabbath and there's no... There's nothing we can learn from that. That's not it at all. But I'm just saying Sunday, Lord's Day, is a unique, a distinctly Christian uh, time of worship. And there are, there are similarities between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. When we're talking about a, weekly, a day of the week that is, is, is the Lord's, 
but the latter is not rooted in the former. That's what I'm, my point. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. So um, I, I, if you have questions, you can talk, me to, talk to me later and we can talk about this. I want to move on before I lose 98% of you, though. Um, I had a, a preaching professor who, who told us, don't spend time in the pulpit answering questions that people aren't even asking. And so we're going to move on. Uh, the more pressing question for us today is, why is Sunday the Lord's Day? Why is Sunday the Lord's Day? What made this day not like the others for the early church and for us? And the answer is eight simple words that we've already read this morning. He is not here, for he has risen. The, the empty tomb changed everything, including the significance of Sunday, including the day that we worship the Lord. You have these Jewish brothers and sisters who come to Christ and they're worshiping Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Christ raises from the dead Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. What? How do you explain that? I know it's, trust me, I'm aware that that was a unique time and many continued to worship on the Sabbath also, but there was this emphasis new on the Lord's Day. After paying for our sins in full on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. We read it in Matthew. And all four gospel accounts are very explicit that this happened on the first day of the week. They testified to this fact. And at least six times the risen Christ appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. Again, it's explicit, emphatic in the text. Interestingly, what you find there's really no command That the church is to meet on the first day of the week. They just did it. They're they're so overwhelmed by the reality of the empty tomb that Sunday became the day that the church gathered to worship the Lord. In Acts 2, after Pentecost, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon His people, came and was given to, given by Christ to us, which happened to be on a Sunday. First day of the week. But, but after that, the church gathered daily. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following there, it says that they gathered day by day of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so day after day, they're meeting in, those, in the infancy of the church. But by the time you get later to the later chapters of Acts, you get to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, the church is gathering specifically on the first day of the week to do those same things. And then later in Revelation 1.10, you, you find, and we were in that context just a moment ago, it's, that it's, it's given a distinctly Christian name, the Lord's Day by John. And so this, and this is the point I want to think, the thing that should get you out of bed every Sunday morning and, and put joy in your heart as you dress your kids and find lost shoes and you drive to church and, and you come here is this fact. Christ is risen. That's, that's what makes it significant. We don't have to look to some law or uh, legalistic standard or uh, regulations to show the significance of this Lord's Day. What makes it significant is that Christ is risen. That's what gets us here. And that, and that reality should cause us just to burst through those doors every week early uh, and, and get you here and, and eager to just belt out praise to Jesus with the, with the body as we assemble. The early church never got over that. And so this is how it began, and we shouldn't either. 
And so, so we come and we come to worship Jesus. We come to hear him speak to us through his word. This is why what makes this day so special, so unique. That's the first thing. Our gathering takes place on a designated day, a day that reminds us of that the tomb is empty. Second, biblical reality said our gathering takes a distinct shape, takes a distinct shape. And turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and we'll get there in just a moment. But every day, in a sense, is the Lord's day, right? I mean, it's not like Saturday or Tuesday belongs any less to the Lord. Uh, every day is his and we're to worship the Lord at all times. So, so, but there, but there's something special. There's something distinct about this day and this gathering and this worship. You can't get past that. And there's three features that make it distinct. And we'll, we'll see these and, and I'll show you why we're in Hebrews 10 in a moment. But first thing we would say, there's these, these three features that give the shape of, of our worship together, our assembly. And the one, first one is this, is that it's uniquely corporate. It's uniquely corporate. Now, this is not rocket science, so don't expect to be wowed here. But there's something different about this kind of worship than the private worship, namely that we're together, that we're not you're not alone. And and you're and, and you're just you're also just not meeting as a family or as a small group or as guys sitting around a campfire singing to Jesus. This is something unique that we're all together as one church Gathered in Jesus' name on the Lord's day. That's unique. It's corporate. That's not a small thing. This is something we should not ever take for granted. The, the special privilege it is to assemble as the church on the Lord's day. There are many bro- of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world who do not have that opportunity to do this very thing that we're doing this morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who certainly understood the value of this, um, he, in his book Life Together, he, he mentioned several things along these lines. One thing he said, it's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. But we take it for granted in the West, don't we? We're not persecuted here. So it may take different forms, but we're not persecuted in the way that, that separates us from one another. We're not, we're not fearful that the cops are going to come busting in the doors this morning and, and arrest us or threaten us if we, to, to keep us from assembling together again. That's just not a fear for us. But most Christians in the world, that is a reality. That is a fear. Bonhoeffer goes on. He says, it's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace that any day may be taken from us. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands where there are no Christians, they stand alone. They especially know that visible fellowship is a blessing. Visible fellowship. It's, there's no substitute for this. And one more quote. He just says, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It should be. Well, Hebrews 10, um, Hebrews 10 is an incredible chapter of Scripture, and, and it, it just could, it demands our fullest attention, and we're just going to be able to touch on a couple of things. In the first 18 verses of Hebrews 10, the writer is, is clarifying for the congregation that he's writing to that Jesus Christ is the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. 
He's laboring to make that clear. And he's addressing in particular those those Jewish brethren, Jewish background believers who were being drawn back to the Levitical system. And he's urging them to leave it behind, to appropriate the, the benefits of this new covenant in Jesus Christ. So this is what he's doing. And then verses 19 to 25, he's, he's going to show the implications of what Jesus has accomplished for them. In other words, he says, he says, Jesus has come. He's died once for all. All who put your faith in him, you're saved, you're, you're secure. All your sins are forgiven and cleansed. Therefore, live like this together as a church. That's what he's doing in verses 19 to 25. And so let's, let's read verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Just for what we're talking about here, we're talking about the corporate nature of the gathering. It's uniquely corporate. And in light of what Jesus has accomplished, the writer of Hebrews saying, he says, let us, let us, let us. It's, it's corporate. It's let us do these things. Let us be about this. The church has a distinct usness to it. Um, when we gather, we're not just a bunch of individuals who happen to have shown up at the same place at the same time doing the same kinds of things. No, we're, we're doing this uniquely together, corporately. It's the us. This is, the idea is found elsewhere in, in the New Testament. They, and all of the imagery that Paul uses to describe the church, it's especially seen. You have things like the, he calls the church the temple of God. This is, the church is this unique spirit-filled community that gathers in Jesus' name to experience his presence and power in a unique way. And that doesn't mean that as soon as you leave this place and you get in your car that you cease to be the spirit-filled community uh, of God's people. That's not it. But our identity as the temple of God finds, finds its greatest expression when? When we're together. We're together. And it's the body of Christ and the family of God. Same thing. The, the images don't make any sense if... You think of the church as just being individual Christians who who are wandering around with earbuds in their ears, listening to sermon podcasts, but they never actually come together. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's corporate. It's uniquely corporate. Second, it's uniquely vertical. Let me just one more thing. I, I failed to mention at the very core, the church is an assembly. That's what the word church, ecclesia in the Greek, it's, it means assembly. That's a basic meaning of what we are. Now, I, I realize we'll move on. I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. It's the ones that are listening on the podcast. You know, you're the ones that need to really be listening to this. You're missing out on what God intends for you. But it's uniquely corporate. Second, it's uniquely vertical. 
the writer of Hebrews, again, talking about what we are to do together. We, he says we need to draw near to God, verse 22, with, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So it's not just that we're coming together in person, corporately. It's that we're coming together to do something together. Something specific. One of the things we're doing is we're drawing near to God. We're holding fast to the confession of our hope. How do we, how do, we do this? What does this look like? It's, it's in the stuff that we do as a gathering. It's by reading, preaching, hearing God's word. It's, it's responding to the word together. It's praying together, singing together, celebrating the Lord's table together. This is all part of drawing near to God, holding fast to the confession of our hope. And so all of these things go into that. The most basic purpose of the Lord's Day Assembly is God's worship. It's His worship. So this gathering needs to have a uniquely vertical dimension to it. It's, this is not, it's not about you and me. Um, it's, it's, it's not... It's not it. It's, 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 not, it's about the Lord, and that's not just a cliche. That needs to be deeply believed by us and deeply, deeply expressed in the way that we worship. That's not all. So it's uniquely corporate, uniquely vertical, uniquely horizontal. And this is uh, probably the least understood dimension of, of the assembly. But Hebrews 10, verse 24, he says, Let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that word, consider, the idea is not, you, you get this, it just means thoughtful reflection. So he's saying, let us give thoughtful reflection, let us ponder this, what? How to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Um, uh, I'll come back to the consider part. Let me just say, if, if, if you don't think the assembly is a big deal, I urge you to meditate upon verse 25 uh, today. If you're thinking, who does this guy think he is? He's, 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 he sounds like a legalist. Um, I, I just want you to think hard, consider that that part of the verse, not forsaking, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. And to support that appeal, he says, we should do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. The closer we get to Jesus' return, which every day we're one day closer, the closer we get, the more precious this assembly ought to be to us, not less. So, so it's, vert, it's uniquely vertical, it's uniquely horizontal, and we have to be careful not to create some kind of dichotomy, false dichotomy between those, those two. It's interesting, when Paul talks about the corporate worship of the church, he often does, he mostly does so, really, with, with the edification kind of language. Seen in 1 Corinthians 14 and throughout Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians but one of the primary aims of what we're doing here is to, to glorify God, to worship God, is by thinking hard about how we can strengthen one another. Those aren't, those aren't in opposition with one another. So, so I ask you do, do you come? Do 
You come having thought hard, having considered how you're going to give and how you're going to build one another up on the Lord's day. If you're a teacher, teachers come ready to teach. The hospitable ones, and many of you are, you come ready to show hospitality. The helpers come ready for looking, ready and looking for ways to pitch in and help. The, the merciful have thought about prayer requests that have been, have gone out over the week and they come looking for ways to show mercy. The, the givers are come prepared to contribute to the needs of others. The shepherd elders come ready to care for the flock. The evangelists are here and they're greeting guests and they're having extra food in the crock pot at home so they can invite folks for lunch. Uh, this is this is the stuff. We're coming prepared, coming eager, ready, having considered how to stir one another up and encourage one another. And, and again, this is not something that you can do on the golf course. This is not something you can do while you're working out or driving your car or, or shopping it's unique to the gathering. It's, it's the corporate, vertical, horizontal gathering of the church. And I know this kind of thinking, it grates against everything in you that's consumeristic and individualistic. And we all have it, folks. This is the air we breathe. We, 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 we buck against this kind of, of thought. We're, we're trained to focus on ourselves and not others. And so we come even to the church with this mindset. I, I'm going to sit in my seat with my family next to my friends. And I'm going to hear a sermon that's for me. And I'm going to sing songs that, that better minister to my needs and my heart. And, and I'm hoping this service speaks to me and helps me. It's, it's me. Now, please don't get me wrong. I am not saying, and Paul would not say either, that... We're not to be personally ministered to when we gather together. Oh, I hope that that happens today, and I hope that happens every Lord's Day, that, that the Lord ministers to you personally by His Holy Spirit and the application of His truth and, and through people. And, and so we want that to happen. I, I was praying, some of you by name this morning, that that very thing would happen. And so... So I pray that's not it. I want that to happen. But if that's all that's happening, if that's all that you're looking for in the assembly, then then you're missing it. You're missing out. You're not really worshiping God as the way he intends for you to worship him in the assembly. Now listen, again, I'm I'm not naive here either. <laughs> I want to speak just for a second to the young mom with the newborn that's still nursing and another kid in diapers and a rambunctious four-year-old who's just bouncing off the walls. And, and you, you're sitting there, you're thinking, that sounds great and all, but how in the world am I supposed to do that? <laughs> I have three kids under five. I have this mobile zoo that I travel around with all the time. And I'm tired and I'm doing good just to Get there late, and one of them's inevitably going to be sick, and so I'm missing. And uh, what do you do? What do you do? You know, when you were single, or you didn't have kids, maybe you got here early, and you you could look people in the eye and listen to what they're saying, and ask questions of people, and 
and have these extended significant conversations with people and stay after church and pray and encourage, pray with and encourage folks and on the spur of the moment go out for coffee and eat. Those days are gone. <laughs> I know. I understand. And again, we don't begrudge that. I'm not, we're not complaining, but that's just not it for a lot of you. Um, but I honestly don't know what this means for you. Sorry, you were expecting some big eloquent answer. Um, but, but I hope that you are asking that question, not out of frustration, but out of a, a sincere desire to, to make the most of this assembly. Lord, what, what am I supposed to do? How, how can I be used by you? Um, and I trust that God's Spirit will lead you and will minister to you. I mean, it, it may be things like this. It may mean that you come here on Sunday morning just prepared to do one thing, and that's to bless and encourage the nursery and preschool workers who are watching your little ones. And you just say, I, I want to come, and I want to be a blessing to them today. And you're kind, and you speak a word of encouragement to them. Maybe you come, and and you just, you, you've, 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 written a few handwritten notes during the week. You come and you stick them in boxes, just expressing encouragement, just pointing out some ways that you're seeing God work in, in some friends and some brothers and sisters in Christ. You're seeing, you've seen God work in their lives and evidences of His grace, His Spirit at work in them. And you just leave a few notes in the boxes of encouragement to them. I don't know what it looks like. But, but what, what Paul's saying, because of this reality, because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, consider this. Think hard. Ponder how you can spur one another, stimulate one another to, to good works, to, to encourage one another. That's part of what we do as we gather together. There's others of you that are here. Maybe there's, there's, you're single. You come alone. You, you sit down, same place every week. and That's about it. You have no formal role, formal recognize ministry in the church, uh, what, what can you do? Well, you, you probably do sit in the same place every week. We're all territorial creatures. I know you people. Um, and you don't move around. And so you sit with the same people. You see the backs of the same heads every week. And, and, and you get kicked in the back by the same kids every week. And, and so learn the names of people around you. Ask questions, engage people, listen to them, share what God is teaching you, share how He ministered to you in the in the morning service, in the through the message. Um, invite people to lunch, pray, stay after, pray with them. Um, there's there's we all can do these things. You know, people ask, you know, I don't know. There's nothing to do for me in the church. There's what can I do? I don't. There's no there's no opportunities for me to serve. Yes, there are. That's it. I mean, that's the stuff of church life. Yes, we need nursery workers at times and Sunday school teachers and chair setter-uppers and, and all of these kinds of tasks. And, and those are good and, we, and those are ways that we serve the Lord. But the most basic is, is this stuff. It's ministering to one another. Considering, thinking hard about how we can build one another up, encourage one another. It's part of what we do as we gather. So, so is is your view of the gathering out of shape? Is there is there some maybe the corporate part you get or the vertical part, but the horizontal you you're, you're missing out? Is it out of shape? Do you need some correction? When we begin to exalt one of those three dimensions to the neglect of the others, um, 
the shape of our gathering begins to be deformed. So we need to keep all three strong. All right, finally and quickly, the third biblical reality that gives, shows the significance of, of this gathering is this, is that our gathering involves definite practices. And I'm just going to basically state these because I want us to get to the table this morning. There, there are specific things that happen in the assembly. The first one is that God's word takes center stage. Paul tells Timothy, don't ever neglect the public reading of Scripture. The word is central. We need the Lord's authority. We're coming together to submit ourselves, not to the preacher's authority, but to Christ's authority, to, to the Lord of the church as he's speaking to us through his word, as it's read and as it's preached with fervency and conviction. So the word is read whenever we gather. The word is preached and explained and, not, and, and applied forcefully through exhortation. This is the word is central. Second, prayer and praise must be fervent, that we have this response of prayer to the Lord. This, again, we have places we could look in Scripture, the early church, just continuing steadfastly in prayers. And we need to be doing the same when we gather. Truth-saturated, spirit-filled singing should characterize our assembly. Um, that, that we're worshipful singing that comes both from the heart and the voice. Ephesians 5.19, singing and making melody, obviously with your voice to the Lord, with your heart, though. Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's, it's heart beginning, but mouth uh, heralding praise to the Lord. It's singing that both glorifies God and edifies the church. We're singing to one another Psalm, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19. I thank God for our musicians, singers, Wade, for your work with us here. And, and there's a lot that goes into that. And I urge you to express your gratitude to them and the sound guys in the back. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. I'm thankful for the, both the quality of the music and the, the richness of the songs that we sing here. And the new and the old, it's just, it's great. And so let your, let your praying and your singing be authentically and appropriately expressive to the Lord. Um, the, the wide range, there's a wide range of, of feeling and expression in Scripture. All kinds of postures, all kinds of, of emotions that are presented in worship. And, and our worship of the Lord ought to reflect the breadth and depth of God and, and the breadth and depth of our worship. And so I urge you to do that. I know some of you are scared about that. You're scared to move or something or do something. And I saw you at the Christmas gathering when we were asked to clap. And some of you just couldn't hardly get yourself to do it. I don't know what to do here. Uh, it's okay. Trust me. There's plenty of clapping and raising hands and clapping and symbols and stuff in Scripture. Uh, it's all it's appropriate. And it's to be done orderly and and, but you just relax, okay? Um, giving must be generous. Giving must be generous. The First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, I mean, the Lord's Day became the occasion for the collection, for the offering. And so, so it is today. This, this, is a mean, this is a way we worship God. It's not dollars and cents, folks. It's worship. It, you, you worship God when you go to that little wooden box at the door. 
And you put that in each week. That's, that's part of our worship to the Lord. Thank God for his grace. You see the report in the bulletin that he's been very good to us this year. And we've exceeded our expenses. Our income has exceeded expenses by over $38,000. And so that just frees us to, to, to do new ventures for him this year. And so thank the Lord for his grace there and your generosity. And then finally, the gospel must be rehearsed regularly. And that's what we're coming to do now at the table. We come and, and often we remember Christ together at the table. This is, again, his death, his resurrection. When the church gathers, we're coming and rehearsing the great truths of our salvation, what Christ has done on our behalf. We're going to come do that in just a moment. You know, I, just, I just leave you with the three diagnostic questions there at the end just to help you kind of diagnose the health of your your involvement in the assembly. And these are just kind of rewording the points, basically. But do your weekend routines show that Sunday is the Lord's day and not your day? Just how you order the weekend, how you order Sunday. It's not the family's day. It's not your day. It's not the kid's day. It's not football day. It's the Lord's day. It's not just the Lord's morning. It's not the Lord's hour. It's the Lord's day. And again, that doesn't mean we import some legalistic rule structure to legislate it. I'm just saying it's, it's defined by the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. That's, that's what rules over the day. Whatever the implications of that are, we, we work out. It's a matter of the heart. Second, are you actively doing your part to keep this body in proper shape? I mean, are you emphasizing corporate vertical horizontal dimensions of our worship and finally is the assembly an overflow of your worship throughout the week those elements the word of central prayer praise fervent giving generously regularly rehearsing the gospel of christ that's what we should be doing throughout the week and we come together and we do it corporately let's pray together lord i ask father that you would help us as we come to the table now to with gladness in our hearts and and, and comfort to our souls, Lord. Help us in our remembrance of Jesus Christ this morning. May we delight in our Savior uh, more and delight in the corporate gathering of the church, Lord. We come not as individuals but as a body to come and to eat and drink together and remember Christ together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.